you know, there's this concept of there is rabbits, customers that are small but many, then there is like deer, you know, which is mid-size and but substantial enough meat, right? And then there are whales or elephants, right? And the, the proverbial saying is don't go elephant hunting when you're small. Hi, and welcome to the Insights Podcast series from Axel. I'm your host, Anand Daniel. Today, as my guest, I have Rahul Pangam, co-founder and CEO of Simility. Simility is a company in the fraud detection and prevention space that we invested in as Axel a few years ago. The company scaled quite nicely and recently had a strategic acquisition by PayPal. So today, I want to learn more about Rahul and as well as uh, the Similarity journey, and particularly for the founders who are listening, how does it? How does how do strategic sales come about? What's the process that's involved there? How does that happen? How does a founder think through it? These are things we haven't discussed in our podcast series so far. So I wanted to spend some time with Rahul talking about the whole strategic sale aspect, how that came about. So hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the podcast, Rahul. Thank you. It's a pleasure having you here and congrats on your exit and thanks for very few entrepreneurs go through the whole journey and return money back. So it's good to good to get uh, multiples of the uh, money that we invested. No, Thank happy you. Happy to do that. Happy to do that. Awesome. Good. So we'll start with, uh, for, for the founders who might not know your story, we'll start with your background, Rahul, and then we'll go into uh, similarities, uh, which is what we want to spend. And majority of the time we want to spend on the exit, that whole process. So that's what want to come into that as the core focus. Yeah. But we'll start out with your personal background. Uh, great. So, um, you know, spent seven years at Google from 2007 to 2014 and largely building fraud detection risk management systems. This is the Bay Area. Bay Area. So I, uh, I went to business school at Michigan and, uh, you know, went to work for Google post that. Uh, and uh, basically, when we look at Google's growth from 2007 to 2014, they had sort of established their core business in ads and search. And then the rest of the groups or technologies had to be scaled, right, to work with that. And so fraud detection risk management was a big, big initiative. And so we had to build our own technologies. We had to build our own way of operating differently. What I learned a lot was the, the technology that was used by, um, you know, old school, um, you know, buyers and legacy technology, why it didn't work. Uh, what was a replacement in the new age when when you into digital, right? Because Google was one of the at the forefronts of going digital. Um, and then the other thing I learned there was um, essentially Google was launching a lot of products, and every time a product needed risk management capabilities, um, my job was to evaluate the problem and put together operations and and infrastructure um, to help them meet their risk management goals. So essentially, it's like working at a, in, in a startup setup inside of a company like Google, which is fast paced anyways, and, and quickly build to scale um, uh, uh, as these products scaled, right? So a lot of learning there. Um, and, and the key themes that I picked up were one, um, as industries are making transition to digital, um, and Google was in media, so that was first, and it was e-commerce, 
then banking, the traditional ways of detecting fraud. Um, you know, if you're walking into a bank and depositing a check, you can ask the person for an ID, you can look at the check. But if you're doing some transaction from your mobile phone, it's a very different, the person is not there, very different means of transaction. The fraud evaluation had changed and largely the vendors were still trying to build new technologies, assuming digital was a channel and not the core. Uh, but I felt like going forward, that was not going to be the way of operating. Digital was going to be the main channel and uh, and you had to build a system ground up for that. And so there was a thesis that if we have been able to do this in the media world, we can do this in the e-commerce and digital banking world uh, and build a platform that would be useful for them as they shifted into big data, post-mobile, post-big data world um, in, in uh, detecting fraud and risk. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the background. You know, 2014 started the company, left Google in like March, started in April. So there was literally, I didn't take a break, just, you know, jump straight into, into the, into the startup world. Into so the who startup did you world. started with? Um, so I had two co-founders, um, Kedar, who was my office mate at Google, right? So we used to always whiteboard ideas on what kind of systems you can build, what kind of problems they could solve. Uh, and largely, fraud and risk management was a solved problem at Google by 2014. Like we had brought fraud rates down to incredibly low rates, and it, it, uh, there wasn't much to do in terms of new innovation there, right? So we used to always think about, okay, who else can benefit from this kind of thinking, right? What would be a system if you were to build it from scratch with today's open source technologies? So Kedar and I were like, you know, thought partners, given we shared the same office. And then Kedar had worked with Uttam, who's our third co-founder, in a prior company before. And they two were thought partners there in terms of they had built to scale sort of learning management systems. And so they would always discuss, hey, you know, how, what is, you know, how would you start from scratch? How would you use different new open source technologies? And so, you know, we got together um, and we said, look, we have slightly independent skill sets. So I was more operational, business focused. Kedar was more data science focused and Uttam was more infrastructure and engineering focused. So the three of us could build a company without needing a fourth person, <laughs> at least for the first one and a half, two years. So I knew right off the bat and we quit on the same day because <laughs> we said, look, we're going to commit to this together. Like I knew right off the bat that no matter what, it's a self-contained unit that can take us to a certain milestone, right? You can do a POC, you can build a product, you can sell to a certain set of customers without needing a fourth person. So, and then the initial thesis of starting fraud for which industries and, and maybe give some examples for the audience who's not familiar with. With fraud detection, yeah. right. So there are two or three standard use cases, right? Let's say, um, you are an e-commerce platform and you're selling digital goods, right? Like song subscriptions or, um, you know, gaming downloads or so on and so forth. Um, you would have customers are using credit card to pay for it. And so if they have a stolen credit card, which they bought off the internet or what have you, uh, then you as a merchant, if that uh, person whose card was stolen claims that it was fraudulently used, you as a merchant are on the hook to return that money. So now you've, the good is shipped or <laughs> bought. You don't know who the buyer was and now you have to pay back this money. So that's a large financial loss for you. Yeah. 
And so how do you detect these compromised accounts, whether somebody's using a stolen credit card, whether somebody's creating a fake account? And that's what we are trying to solve for. Got it. And and what was the methodology or how did you go about doing this? Fraudsters are constantly changing their attack patterns. So today, if they're using a particular IP address to come, if you start knowing that I'm going to use IP address to blacklist so that they can't do a second transaction, they immediately realize that and they use a technology that will circulate IP addresses. So you had to rely on machine learning based systems because as the fraudsters change their behavior, you had to, the system had to adapt to that. And so knowing that um, you can quickly morph as the patterns and attacks are changing was important. You couldn't do that with a static rules based system where you write certain rules and assume that they will last you forever. And so largely the technique was, look, here is the behavior of a good user, right? Here is what constitutes a behavior. Maybe they buy once in six months. Uh, maybe they always buy within 20 kilometer radius of their home. Uh, maybe the credit card is always issued by a certain list of banks. And all of these are encoded as behaviors that are desirable of a user in the machine learning models. And anytime you have an anomaly in that behavior, you want to flag it and probably block block the transaction. Got it. This is an e-commerce. Did you go across multiple industries or how did it uh, pan out? Yeah. So we started with e-commerce yeah. and marketplaces, yeah. primarily because as a founder, as you're trying to build go-to-market in the early stage, you you know there's this concept of there is rabbits, customers that are small but many. Then there is like deer you know, which is mid-size, but substantial enough meat, right? And then there are whales or elephants, right? And the, the proverbial thing is don't go elephant hunting when you're small because, you know, it takes like 18 months to close a bank. Mm. <laughs> and if your funding is 18 months and a bank you're doesn't close, you're done. <laughs> you exhausted the funding, yeah, right? Yeah. So go after the deer, the the, right? deer, okay. deer right? Yeah. Because rabbits may not, you need a lot of rabbits, right? So <laughs> either you have a lot of rabbits or a few deer. We said, okay, we'll go after a few deer, right? Yeah. Um, so the mid-market e-commerce, e-commerce has a lot of mid-market, right? Growing tech companies. They are not averse to trying new technologies because they themselves are tech companies. They are themselves fast growing. So that was our thesis going after e-commerce. So I think two hypotheses there. One, it's the easiest to build early traction with. The second hypothesis was, we should stick with the world that we understand best. So those two made us gravitate towards uh, e-commerce, marketplaces, digital technology companies as our first group of buyers. Got it. And the business model here is what? Like how do you charge? It was we started with subscription. For every transaction that we evaluate, we'll charge you a few pennies, right? Two cents, six cents, ten cents, depending on um, on your size, like number of annual transactions. Uh, you could either, if you're a small company, you pay us 10 cents. If you're mid-size, maybe somewhere five to six. And if you're really large, maybe two cents, right? The more transactions. The, the more transactions, the, the the better tiering you get in terms of cost you have to incur. Okay, that's great. And so uh, talk us through uh, the some of the scaling. And you had India and uh, US or how you split? Yeah, so it's it's interesting, right? So Kedar Uttam and I were in the US. We, we started similarity in the Bay Area. But during my Google time, I had been to India uh, to start uh, the Google team in Hyderabad. And I'd made a lot of friends when we, when we hired people for the team. There was a lot of young talent here who wanted to be in startups and enterprise startups. And uh, I don't think the market was mature enough, India-facing, 
to to give them an avenue <laughs> to to explore their capabilities right so um one of our uh, employees at google he expressed interest in joining but he said i, I want to stay in hyderabad so he said okay why don't you work from home right and you'll be our employee number 1 so our employee number 1 was hyderabad and then we saw the talent pool here was amazing in hyderabad and we could keep hiring so we said okay ravi sandapudi who was uh, our first employee why don't we have two other people to work with ravi we'll hire a co-working space and that's how we hired our next two and employee number 2 and 3 and that just grew so we said okay now we should just have our engineering base in india the us is primarily focused on testing with customers getting feedback and then focusing on building a go to market uh, and product market fit hypotheses because you're super close to the customers you can engage with them every day you can physically work with them so may, let's make that our capabilities um, core skill set and large part of infrastructure building data analysis all of that will happen out of our hyderabad office in india got it and that's how we grew both those things how about machine learning and the data science side so initially we the way as the company grew we staffed up sales marketing in us we also staffed up user experience and data science in us uh and primarily because the talent there was more like it was easier to find that talent from a data science and ux standpoint and also the market perceptions and understanding of what the users need and you're close to the um uh, users there that was important in that in those early days so that's the reason we staffed up those teams there and and the teams in india were largely data analysis full stack engineering um uh, you know back end engineering the platform capabilities all of them were were staffed up in india our product management was in india got it got it so that that's helpful so and then as you scale did you go after from, from the deer to the elephants or what happened like yeah, yeah, yeah. so i think this was very helpful to technical co-founders like us right lot of uh, i've seen folks who come from a sales background they started a go to market hypothesis we started with okay this we want to build a cool platform and then we'll see who can use it right um and probably people like us will appreciate it more that's how we went to e-commerce but as we were selling to e-commerce we had we had built a, a an overly sophisticated system for the average e-commerce user the most it resonated with was like enterprise e-commerce and then we started getting inbound interest from banks and fintechs that hey um what you have built is applicable to us because the level of sophistication is relevant to my business model um and you're like great i've never worked at a bank and i don't i can't put myself in the shoes of the user uh but there are a couple of uh, a fintech called chime which is a sort of a new age bank and a, a top 50 bank called zions they sort of approached us and what i realized is their pain was so acute and their existing technology group was so outdated that they were willing to co-innovate with us <laughs> yeah. and build a product that made worked for them over a one one and a half year period right so that's how we got the inbound you know the fintech uh, sales cycle was very short between discussing and closing and getting the system live was literally 5 to 6 months but the bank was like we started talking to them in i think like december 2015 so 15 18 months um, of a sales cycle 
and did I, they pay you for that period they did pay us in a retype or that's right okay um, this was the beauty of banks and enterprise customers they pay you for everything right and they pay you premium dollars for everything what we learned is there are long sales cycles um but for the first time we figured out that there are enough customers where if i do a simple math of number of potential customers and how much each one can pay we said 1 to 2 million dollars which is what the Bank. enterprise banks would pay and the mid market banks would pay about 500k there is enough of these that you can build a 100 million dollar company with a steady revenue recurring revenue now which also meant you had to change your pricing model to have implementation fees professional services that as was a much more complex pricing mechanism so we had to change our thought process around pricing the kind of sales people we needed the kind of go to market and all of that so but that's how we made the shift into banking we got this two inbound we had successful pocs we were deployed and once you have two the third person is easier to convince right that hey we have two deployed you can do and these both became references here the performance numbers um and so then we hired banking sales people and that's how sort of we started i think that's truly when we found our go to market motion right we had founded with e-commerce but i don't think it was a big enough market to build a 100 million arr business mm. so you had a platform technology that was applicable to two different industries yeah. and you had uh deer in one and elephants as you call them in yeah. different and then you went after the deer because it's faster to close but the market wasn't big in Correct. big enough is what you realized yes and then you f- switched and went after the elephants the in elephants. this case the banks Correct. right and and even though it took longer so in hindsight would you do it differently or what would like this more from a question of entrepreneurs were selling into similar situations right. the mid size to large right yeah so i mean there are two ways to approach when you do a startup right like you have a pain you you solved it for yourself or it's unsolved and you build to solve it we came from e-commerce <laughs> so we thought about the way of the world in terms of how our pain was or you can do a very um, meticulous analysis of go to market saying if i'm going to build a fraud system i should look at the landscape and look at banking right and that is not a process we did we just said i'm going to my my thing is i'm going to solve for my problem in the most elegant way had i come from banking that would have been very intuitive but since we didn't come we went down the e-commerce route again there are companies that have built 50 million arr in the e-commerce so it's not like it's a it's a it's a market that can't get you the scale uh, but in our case people were hesitant to switch providers because the margins in, in e-commerce were low which meant switching cost was big from an it implementation standpoint and the delta of a su- inferior product that was a predecessor to switching to a superior product had to be massive to make that switch because people are putting up with substandard technology simply because they didn't want to switch those are things i mean even if you did an analysis you knew there was a market there you wouldn't have realized unless you actually went through the pain of understanding that this route is kind it seems appealing but it's blocked <laughs> Um so yes we could have built a hypothesis but both would have looked equally compelling the only way to know it is test and fail right and and but in testing it takes a long time in the elephant side right so correct. that's the, <laughs> that's the so maybe even in hindsight the sequence and also you got a proof of concept working in a particular correct. industry you had enough data so and you got the inborn because of 
the proof points. I'm Correct. The proof points were non-banking, but yeah. the banking people were willing to use that. Correct. If you went with a hypothesis or yeah. an untested product, they probably yes. would push back. Yeah. So some of it helped yeah. uh, sort of unintentionally. Technology also probably the, the platform the helped, right? Yeah. So that's great. Cool. So let's switch gears and talk about what we wanted to talk about in depth, yeah. right? Which is going through the whole phase of uh, the exit, right? So maybe talk back. How did you meet PayPal or uh, start from the beginning right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when uh, we got some traction in banking, right, um, we started getting some interest from existing investors to do a round. And so just for context here, um, we had taken some angel money uh, right after we left Google, about $750,000, $800,000. And then we had done a $7 million priced round uh, one year after we started the company. And that round was led by Excel, Dinesh Katiar um, from Excel India. And there was another sort of micro VC firm that had joined that round uh, called the Valley Fund. And uh, Trinity Ventures joined that round as well. So as they started to see that we had a go-to-market that was working, there was a $100 million uh, path. Um, one of the firms made an um, sort of offer saying, look, we uh, we want to invest uh, and we want to lead the round. Um, and then Dinesh said, look, if, you know, if other internal investors are jumping in, we can all just close the round and move on, right? Because there's enough of us with, who understand what's going on and have believe in the promise. You don't need to be distracted by a fundraising round. And at the time, Axel connected us with PayPal. Uh, interestingly enough, PayPal Venture Capital had come to India to ask Excel India, can you connect us with portfolio companies that are doing interesting things in the payment space or e-commerce space? And they said, oh, yes, we have one that you should really talk to, but they're back in the valley. Yeah. So it's interesting that the PayPal US got the lead, uh, the venture group from Excel India to go and talk to us. So when they came back, they connected with us. Uh, we did some deep dives. Um, and I thought it was a road to nowhere because PayPal claims they're the best in risk management. They truly are, right? Uh, they have the best risk management platforms. They have the smartest risk management people. And why would they want to get a vendor, right? And I thought, okay, if there's an investment opportunity, they would want to partner as well. It's a strategic investor. They're not going to just put money for the sake of putting money. But anyways, we said, you know, what's the harm? Worst case, we get feedback from the smartest people in the industry on, on our solution. Best case, if they make an investment and potentially a small partnership uh, for a small area of their business, there's validation that the best people have recognized their platform. So we went in, we had a lot of discussions. Um, this was 2000? This was 2017, about May, June when we knew that we would have a round yeah. um, and there was enough to finish that round. Yeah. Um, and then PayPal really saw the promise in the technology, right? And they wanted to be close to how we were building because this was their bet of how next generation systems look like. And I think just looking back, maybe internally, they were thinking of the same components and the same way of building. So they wanted to be close to a company that was doing something similar. So they came back and said, hey, we want to join the round, right? Can you make room for us? And I'm like, you know, great. That's uh, happy to do that. And then they, I think there was a verbal understanding that um, 
we'll help you with a with a partnership deal because of course when we invest we want to see that on go to market side on the go to market side so finally the light bulbs in our head went off right that oh you know if paypal can use our technology they have like 20 million small merchants and a merchant already is api connected they are already in the billing platform they already have a contract the three biggest friction points that i have to contract with someone which is oh i have to do a contract after api integration um and i have to bill and invoice and all that is gone cuz all i have to do is just plug into this huge platform so for the first time i was like oh we can get the rabbits mm-hmm. <laughs> as well as we can get the elephants right yeah. this is like unbelievable business model right this is to straddle the two is impossible almost but we can make this work that's how our relationship with paypal started did they want any strategic rights and anything that prevented the upside for you at that time or anything you had to think through um they had a board observer seat okay um um because we already had a full round the percentage of equity that they had was not very large um uh, but any rofer rights or any specific uh, things that limited uh, or is it was purely financial investment it was purely a financial i mean they 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 wanted a notification if right you know if you had a, a an inbound offer of so that they cuz the thinking in paypal's mind was if i am going to tie one of my business units to a vendor's capabilities um i want to know if a competitor is going to acquire that correct and, and just yeah. for yeah. you know from a purpose of like um, um putting a dent in our business they just do and come and acquire the company right so i think that's and i, I felt like that was a fair request on their part like that we should notify them um uh, when when those things happened um so yeah i mean this was the golden as far as i feel like we finally hit the gold mine because not only we identified go to market we identified go to market that addressed both edges the most profitable edges of the market and you gave very little ownership what's that small ownership uh, correct right at the yeah. time right and yeah, then time, yeah. um and an interesting segue here is like paypal and immediately the paypal validation started to show impact right because um PayPal had a close relationship with the Axel Growth Fund because they had sold companies. Um, Braintree was the last previous one, right? And so they uh, they had a conversation with the Growth Fund, saying, "Hey, you know," and I don't, I wasn't inside, I wasn't inside the conversation, but when something like um, this is the best fraud detection platform you've seen in the last ten years, and by the way. this is a portfolio company of your india fund <laughs> mm-hmm. and i'm not sure if you know about it i mean i know you're a growth stage fund you don't invest in this early, early. um but irrespective you should know because you know we have a relationship and we are betting on this company and we trust you guys so so you should know and so they said oh that's uh i want to see what these guys do right so we got called in for a demo and explain how we approach the market and i think that thesis of being able to attack both ends with a single business model because for us paypal was the size of a bank and the sales motion as an end client was the same as a bank it's a large enterprise client a sophisticated buyer so for us we didn't have to build a different product but we could scale that other market through them right so i think that was very appealing and i think at excel looked at this the growth fund um they felt like 
this was something they should be involved in, right? And so that that round eventually became Excel, took the whole, whole round at that point, right? A large lion's share of the round plus PayPal. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they were betting on the hypothesis that we come in early because we want to see there is a way this market is unfolding. And this is the youngest company in that market. So we want to be very close as this scenario unfolds. Um, and then, then we started the discussions with PayPal about the partnership aspect. Um, this was post the round, 2017. Post the round, yeah. Okay. So December 2017, we started the discussions. Um, and, you know, of course, Christmas happens. And so till first week of January, you know, all... Uh, sort of silent, right? Because everybody's out on vacation. So as January comes in, I start asking the product people and the tech people because the MA people had connected us to all the teams that we should be talking to. And it seemed like we weren't getting a lot of response from the product people. So I didn't know what was going on. And then eventually, because I had built relationships with these folks, somebody wanted to information. Hey, we had a reorg. The EVP of risk has left PayPal. Um, he was your corporate sponsor, um, so we need to restart. Yeah, we need to have an internal conversation around where this goes now. And I had the oh shit moment. <laughs> it was like okay, we bet big on PayPal's uh, as our go-to market partner, uh, and now we have to re-engage with a different set of people and and restart, right? And so I said I'm gonna um, restart and go to every like the VP of Merchant Solutions, the VP of techno- Risk Technology, the VP of Risk Operations, uh, the GMs uh, of Braintree, the MNA had a paper, and just explain to them what we're doing because it's not going to be easy again to get in because there was a certain hypothesis, now the hypothesis where everything else is out of the window, right? This is for getting access to the 20 million customers. Not even 20 million, I said yeah. even if I get a subset because yeah. PayPal has many brands like yeah. Braintree operates independently yeah, sure. and so on and so forth. Even if I get access to a small traffic, yeah. At least we have a start, right? And so I said, let's start small by convincing, have a convincing use case of how it works in a PayPal concept with their customers and and, and we'll see right, how far that goes. And I started having these conversations one by one by one and it's like all the product side folks were like, yes, this is interesting. Yes, we want to do something, but we don't know what to do. Uh, you know, we don't have a quite nailed it down like where we can start or the right hypothesis or use case. And um, so it's kind of like wait and see more, right? Um, and then I met the head of m and who whose team does the venture investing. I'm like, hey, can you help me at least get a POC? Because once we prove the value, maybe these other folks can see the numbers and then that wait and see mode goes away. Um, and, um, you know, he said yes, right? And this was the, the strength of the venture investment because he could, he felt, the responsibility to help us make a case internally. So, so we said, okay, let's let's find a, a a place where you can do a POC. So I said, here are three different people you can engage with and get a POC. And then um, at the same time, um, because Excel had a relationship with the uh, Bill Ready, who's the CEO at PayPal, I asked Ryan, who was on Braintree's board, to say, hey, can you ask Bill to just have a quick look at Simility and see if he sees any potential areas that we can collaborate better, right? Um, and he said, look, Bill is very busy. He is in Davos, Switzerland for World Economic Forum right now. So it's very hard to get his time, but I'm going to try over the next two, three weeks to get you a small time slot, 30 minutes or so. 
Um, so you can at least have a conversation with him. And, and that did happen after two or three weeks, right? Um, we did get a conversation with Bill. That half hour, he said, come back tomorrow for another hour or, or, or two hours to just, we want to dig a little bit deeper. I want more people to understand this. Um, uh, and I think there was, you know, that got the wheels turning in everybody's head because Bill is, you know, the second most powerful person at the company after the CEO. Um, and he's he's interested in this in a way that's sort of strategic to the business. And now people are actively thinking of like, how do we use this versus can we use this where? It's like, okay, now I have to make sure that we have a good understanding of like, where's the best fit here? And there's an urgency to do something. Um, so you, so we met with Bill. Um, you know, so we had almost, almost six months of trying to sort of rejuvenate this relationship. It was almost March 2018, uh, yes, by this time where um, we, we sort of, uh, you know, we're going back and forth and trying to find a fit. Um, and that other two-hour meeting we left with Bill, and I think he, um, I think, he, so he comes from an entrepreneurial background, right? He has had been a CEO at four companies, and um, and he was like, hey, look, I think, you know, we should have gotten here faster, right? You know, you spent some months trying to get this here, but, um, you know, we should move fast now, right? So tomorrow morning, like you should hear back from our contracts, M and A team, product team on next steps. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, great. Contract is back on track, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, uh, and next afternoon, I get a call from M and A saying, um, "Hey, like, um, you know, what we want to do with you is too strategic to our business, and um, you know, so this has to be a part of PayPal." <laughs> wow! Right. So and I was like, <laughs> they went from being POC to this, Correct, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you have to, like, you have to make bold bets. If if this truly is a, a next generation technology, there is no small things here and there to do. Right? Like, make a bold bet and and try and see how far you can take it. And I, I was shocked, right? Because I didn't know how to respond. I'm like, uh, yeah, let me talk to my board. Let me talk to my founders. I can't, I can't say one way. I don't know what to say. Yeah. I don't, it's not I can say one way. I don't even know how to react, right? Forget what to say. Um, so then I came back and I talked to Dinesh, who was on our board from Excel India. I talked to Brian and I said, I don't know if you know this is real or not. Since you guys have a relationship, maybe you should do a call and check in and see what what this is and how serious this is. Um, so they they had a conversation and you know, fortunately or unfortunately or you know just coincidentally, in the next three days we had a board meeting. Anyways, like our regular check in. So after that board meeting, we huddled for half an hour just on this topic. We had a conversation and they're like, "Yes, this is serious." Right? And and what do you what do we want to do? And I said, look, you guys have been entrepreneurs. You guys have had exits, right? So my sense is we have a path to market, but PayPal is a critical element. That's like almost half our go-to-market strategy. Um, so we need to rethink now in the new world of that could be at risk or that could be a place where we go crazy based on how we react to this offer. Um, and, you know, how do we think about this? And so, I mean, different, all of us had different sort of opinions. Um, Keda, Ruttam and I also had mixed feelings because we knew we could build a much bigger company. 
what scale were you at we were about 3 million arr um we could and see the a offer, part could you talk about the offer uh, there wasn't an offer the okay. offer was yeah. this is important to us okay right come back <laughs> yeah <laughs> So it's like okay what do I go back with you yeah. have to go back or what yeah. do I say right so kedarnutham and I are always like look um the optimistic side in me says look we have a clear path to 20 plus million um revenue revenue in the next year year and a half two years um but that part path starts to look dimmer and dimmer if paper is not part of the equation and that is a genuine risk at this point right given where we stand assuming we go stand alone um and the conservative side was um you know we had always said 100 million is a mark <laughs> and anything about that means we let to entertain an offer of course there is no number on the table mm-hmm. i mean uh, million market cap as a mark or a, yeah 100 million um uh, in terms of um the exit, exit right okay. the valuation of the company at sure. time of exit right that that was our and just for context here right if i look at the fraud detection space. exits and and space since our 2010 2012 onwards uh there have been multitude of sub 100 million dollar exits and there are tons of buyers for that right um you know 30 million 20 million aqua hires slightly more than 50 sometimes um and then majority of the people who had established go to market fit were between 100 and 300 million um there was nobody who had sold for less than 4 years of being as a company for 100 million plus and everybody who had slogged for like 10 12 years could barely get 300 350 right and um there was one company the only outlier in that group was threat metrics which was it was sold for like 700 800 million but they had spent 12 years building a 60 80 million dollar arr business right so those were my data points number one from a valuation standpoint the second set of data points was industry was consolidating very quickly in the last 3 years so your potential people who could, who, who could buy are data bureaus so xpn equifax and transunion transunion and xpn had bought a ton of companies in the last 2 3 years so they had exhausted their pile of money the other group is uh you know reuters thomson lexis nexis which are more like consolidators of data assets and technology assets and and all of that they had bought companies so they had exhausted their their pile of money um the third is technology companies like ibm oracle they had done few deals they had some money open but we had not engaged with them thus far right so from this point on it's a long long haul to like engage with them um and the fourth group was you know payment providers banking platforms the likes of paypal right and paypal was the biggest in buyer in the market right there no other company had a 100 billion valuation and that just mean they can swing bigger right if you are just looking from a very rational point of view that meant that this is was a serious point in time and depending on what path you take there was no turning back cuz more options would get would get closed and that for us we were leaning more towards saying yes at the right price still ambivalent uh dinesh by now had been with us for almost 3 years as a uh, board member 
and he was super vested in the company he's like no guys we should keep going right because i can see the promise i very um you know very rarely we see you can straddle both these ends the rabbit and the and the elephant end and and you've managed to do that you have identified that route to market um but of course the paypal piece might be at risk um but we should keep going ryan had a more practical point of view which is i don't doubt you guys will be at 350 million in 3 years but you'd probably dilute another 50% we would all spend the time here and you know we would dilute as well as investors so potentially from a monetary standpoint we'll reach the same outcome unless you tell me you show me a way to go ipo we all know that there's a clear line of sight to maybe 20 30ish million but beyond that is going to be a slog to go ipo you need 100 million correct plus, 100 yeah, million at yeah. 2x growth yeah. which is a slog and yeah. you can see threatmet is the biggest guy in your industry barely made it to 60 70 maybe 80 right so all that reality came into the picture and so that's how we thought about um, how we evaluate the opportunity uh yeah and uh, you know we told Ryan um who knew bill right and who knew the paypal m&a folks and so on look i think If I were to rationally tell you, I think hundred million plus is a is a good good we'll number for us. It. We'll consider it, right? And Ryan was like, "Look, my intent is very very straightforward. Is that um, uh, you know, Excel is very founder friendly. So we will follow your guidance, right? And we, you should feel like you got the best outcome, and you're super happy for yourself and for the team." Um, Uh, and that 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 means um we had we had the success in the outcome right and so we told him about the 100 million number and that you know for the team paypal was the right home because we have a very um forward thinking the smartest guys from like google amazon right they want to work in a tech environment none of the tech buyers have a payment business right so paypal is the best kind of home for the team so you said from if i look at all those considerations it's probably the best home given the size of the company and all So he said, "Yeah, okay, fine, right? Like, uh, let me have a conversation and and come back." Uh, and of course, he was looking at the multiple of the. I mean, we barely had done the last round, right? We're yeah. three months in <laughs> at yeah. that point. So he was looking at like multiple of the last round. That was a fifty post, or what was it? That was a sixty post. Sixty post, okay. right? So that you can justify to your investors, look, that was a quick exit, but you know, in no time, now yeah. all our money, big yeah. deal, right? Yeah. We can reinvest that somewhere else, right? Because you want. quick exits with even if it's um 2x 3x that's great or you want huge exits if you are long term in it right so this was in the first category um and so and i said look i can i can trust dinesh and ryan i will i think they will negotiate on our behalf even if you're not in the room and and they they had the conversation and we all decided okay you know um and again paypal was very open to to listening and so and and we all sort of ball parked around the 120 million numbers and this is fair because from a multiple standpoint from the founder standpoint from a from a paypal standpoint justifying it to to their board of how they could plug this technology into paypal and what kind of five year revenue they can expect all of it i mean it just locked everything pointed to the same ballpark number which was great because nobody had to like you know beat the other much. person and, up and and, and stretch how long did this last phase take barely a week wow okay. cuz it was such a perfectly aligned yeah. game for everybody yeah. right that it was it was pretty straightforward yeah. 
I we could go on for hours <laughs> talking about this is this such a exciting story like in yeah. the matter of six 3 months <laughs> all this change looks like right yeah, from the yeah. right meeting. from the round to <laughs> the right, exit yeah, right so, no the march meeting onwards right yeah. so uh, this is exciting thank you so much for sharing the story so thank hopefully you. for the founders mm-hmm. listening they have a lot of notes to take and really good takeaways and how you practically thought through this <laughs> uh, and thanks for making money <laughs> for axel oh, congratulations no. and hope you go on to do bigger ones uh, the yeah. years to come after your no totally people you know thanks for yeah. thanks for giving me the opportunity to speak here and yeah. i truly speak from my heart when i say look i i dinesh was an extended part of the team awesome um i could not have asked for a better board member from the first round and between him ryan and arun from arun and ryan from the growth fund yeah. um they always had a founder first mentality which uh, i have not worked with many vc firms but i am lucky that the only one i did work with that i had that trust and kudos to excel thank you that's very kind of you perfect really okay appreciate it. thank you <laughs> there were some great learnings there from rahul on the similarity journey how they went about finding product market fit and how they went about selling to deers as well as elephants uh, the two ends of the spectrum as he was talking about that and and also more more importantly the strategic sale side how did that the acquisition whole process play out these are not necessarily easy times for founders going through a strategic acquisition decision uh, rahul was very transparent on how we thought through that whole process how how we decided to go about doing that along with the co-founders and team so hope you took some notes there because as uh, founders many of you will go through journeys some of you will go all the way and uh, get into ipos and some might end up uh, going through a strategic acquisition and and these all can be great outcomes for founders as well as your investors so hope there were some great lessons for you to take from the podcast Uh, thanks for joining today and look forward to having you back and please do uh, write some reviews about the insights podcast series from axel on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on this will help other listeners to discover insights podcast so we'd re- we'd really appreciate you writing a review and if you have any other feedback for us do tweet us at axel_india thanks for joining mm-hmm.